This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. everybody, it's David James Young here, back for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and checking this out. Really, really appreciate your time. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give a big shout out to my brother in the US, Mr. Tim Crisp of Better Yet Pod. Better Yet was a really, really great uh, American interview podcast, quite similar to All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. I reached out to Tim when he put out his 100th episode and told him how inspired I was by what he was doing and how cool I thought it was that we were doing such similar things in completely different parts of the world, completely unbeknownst to one another, and yet we still had this same uh, ambition and even a a few of the same guests, etc. Tim is a really awesome, really creative person, and this week he sadly announced that he will be ending the Better Yet podcast to move on, presumably to bigger and better things. Tim, if you're listening, I just wanted to say thank you uh, for everything that you've been doing over the last few years. It has not gone unnoticed nor unappreciated, and uh, yeah, it is always great to see another podcast thriving, but it's also simultaneously really sad to see one go. So thank you, Tim, and thank you better yet. If you haven't checked it out, I strongly recommend you do so. This week I have not one, not two, but three dream guests, Mia Dyson, Liz Stringer, and Jen Cloer, aka Dyson Stringer Cloer. They've been kicking around as a trio for a little while. They put out a self-titled EP back in 2013 and did a national tour in support of it. But last year, they put out their fully-fledged debut album and did a big run in support of that. To celebrate, I got all three ladies on the podcast while they were in Sydney doing a couple of shows at the Lansdowne Hotel. I have been trying to get Jen on as a guest pretty much since the podcast started. So to have her come on, as well as the remarkable Mia Dyson and the incredibly talented Liz Stringer, was an absolute delight. This conversation goes all over the shop. We we laugh, we think, we uh, get pretty brutally honest at points, but uh, it's honestly one of my favourite interviews that I've gotten to do in recent memory. I want to give a very, very big thank you to Georgia Cook and Charlie Ellison over at Remote Control Records for helping to set this one up. And I want to give a big thank you to Mia, Liz, and Jen for being so, so generous with their time and being so thoughtful with their answers. And doing stuff like this really helps remind me why I do this podcast in the first place. And uh, yeah, it is so, so wonderful to see and to experience, and I really hope you enjoy this episode because I had such a great time making it and putting it together. 
If you are a Dyson Stringer Clower fan, good news, they're going on tour. Bad news, this is the only chance you will get to see them for the foreseeable future as they all head off into their own respective solo realms again after this. So, from the 14th of February up to the 25th of April, Dyson Stringer Clower will be making their way around Australia playing at the Riverboats Music Festival, Point Lonsdale. They'll be doing Adelaide and a festival called Panama. They'll be playing the Ulta in Hobart, the Milton Theatre in Milton, the Vanguard in Newtown, Estonian House in Brunswick as part of the Brunswick Music Festival, Volta in Ballarat, the Sound Doctor in Anglesey, Day by the Bay in Point Cook, Meadow Music Festival in Bambra, Mojo's Bar in North Fremantle, and wrapping up with an appearance at the Gumball Music Festival in the Hunter Valley. For a full run of dates and tickets, head over to DysonStringerCloa.com and you can check that shit out. Lastly, if you are into this podcast and you would like to help out in one way, shape, or form, there are a couple of ways that you can go about doing that. You can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. That is a huge boost and will help get us out to the right people. It would also be amazing if you could subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, be that Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download from. Tell your friends about it. If you have some friends that are Jen Clower fans or Mia Dyson fans or Liz Stringer fans or Dyson Stringer Clower fans, indeed, they can check out this episode and indeed the 150 episodes before it. And if you would like to support this podcast and myself financially to help keep the whole operation running, you can do so by supporting over on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You will gain access to bonus content, playlists, features and various behind-the-scenes stuff from my work as a writer, a podcaster, and a musician. For more information, you can head over to patreon.com slash davidjamesyoung. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash davidjamesyoung. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch, barbandspod at gmail.com. Always love hearing from you whether it is to do with a guest, an episode, if you would like to advertise on the podcast, if you have any thoughts, complaints, feedback, positive, negative, absolutely anything, Barbands, as always, is open for business, and I would absolutely love to hear from you, barbandspod at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. All right, friends, let's cross now to my chat with Mia Dyson, Liz Stringer, and Jen Clower. Dyson, Stringer, Clower. Hi everyone, I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friends, Dyson. Oh, hi. Uh, <laughs> this is Mia. Hi. Stringer. Hi. Chloe. Hola. Hello, ladies. <laughs> hi, hi. Welcome back to Sydney. It's good to have you all back. It's good to be back. It's really, it's put on a real Sydney day. We've just had a delightful swim down at the Coogee Women's Baths. Mm-hmm. 
stopped past Fatima's for a legendary falafel roll mm. and then just rolled on into Zetland to talk shop with you. Fantastic. You are <laughs> fucking kicking goals today. Kicking. <laughs> She's a pro, mate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and I should say we were all drinking dandelion chai tea just to set the scene. Yeah. Yep. They are sponsors, so yeah, thank you for getting <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea. <laughs> great idea. We need that. Oh, yeah. Dennis Spotto. Yeah, hit them yeah. up. Yeah. We, I think we essentially keep dandelion tea in business. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So in Australia. Mm-hmm. I reckon, yeah, just make sure you always have the labels sticking out, like when you got the mugs on stage yeah. and shit. Yeah. 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 No one drinks anymore. No. <laughs> it's just all the old dandelion tea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kombucha, dandelion tea. Look at that <laughs> smoothies. It'd be pretty rock star to just be smashing them on stage the same way you used to smash beers on stage. You know, that's the that's the rock star dream. Mm-hmm. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. I I know for a fact you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a consummate professional, Jack. Yeah. I am. <laughs> on that note, this is my first time meeting the two of you. But, oh, uh, Jen, I've been annoying you since I was 15 years old. You have, David. I really have. Which is pretty amazing, like, to think you hail back to the Deadwood Falls days, I believe. Yes, correct. Yes. Do you remember our first gig? I do. Yes. Was it – it must have been a festival because you couldn't have been 15 in a club show. That is also true. Even though you probably could have passed for older. (laughs) Back then, not particularly. No. You'd be surprised. Okay. You take all this away and, I yeah, I look like a Gustus Gloop from Willy Wonka. It's it's, (laughs) it's nasty business, really. Um, So this was a festival at – I believe it was the Big Top at Luna Park in ah. Sydney. Uh, this was a like a blues and roots festival called Feel Good. It was headlined by one Xavier Rudd. Yes. And I believe, don't quote me on it, but I believe you were yes. playing it was- and you were watching yeah. and I saddled up next to you and got your autograph at 15 years old. Wow. True story. Wow. And it was a billion degrees, yes. wasn't it? <laughs> mm. uh, who else was there? Like Ash Grunwald and the Audreys. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a... Some, That's yeah, a moment yeah. in time, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Of the times, yeah. Hey, when yeah. Ash Grunwald and Xavier Rudd could fill, a, fill the entire big top. Yep. Simpler times. Mm-hmm. Goodness <laughs> me. Yeah. Then after that, maybe about 18 months later, I mm. interview you for the Hidden Hands record. Yes. And then you come to my original hometown of Nara. Correct. And play at the tea club there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is uh, with friend of the show, Laura Jean, who mm-hmm. is, yeah. Uh, touring around with you at the time. That's also the first night I met Shalakis. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, Shalaki. Yeah, the absolute champion of the universe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of history. We go back. And when I think of Sydney, you are one of the first figures that comes to mind because, really? yeah, actually it's very rare for me to play a show up in Sydney where you are not there in the audience beaming. Just love back to me. Which is a great feeling, yeah. I must say. Like, there's never a time when you walk onto stage where someone smiling and just sending good energy your way is not a welcome thing. So, thank you for being that person for me in Sydney. I am honoured that I get to be that person. Yeah, yeah, that's a fucking wonderful thing. <laughs> uh, I'm sad. I, I'm sad. I don't have 
those those stories with you two just yet, but I'm I'm sure as well, time this develops, is the start isn't it? Yeah, today. I think this is We're the start of a history. Beautiful... Yes, indeed. You'll be telling someone this story. In 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> How we made you find your way into our hotel room on your own. It was relatively easy. Good. It was. I, we found it quite complex, actually. We, uh... <laughs> I just had to follow the 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 letters. The letters. Yes. It's all about the letters. Yes, yeah. indeed. Mm-hmm. Wherever this may be. Oh, yes, look, you'll be knows. gone by the time this comes out. The yeah. no- <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. <That's right. laughs> We're in room 1330. Yeah. <laughs> Come on up. <laughs> okay, so I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed from being something that maybe you were watching on TV, listening to on the radio, etc., to switching over and being like, this is what I want to do. I want to sing, I want to play an instrument, I want to be in a band, that sort of thing. Uh, Liz, we'll start with you. Can Mm. you tell us how music kind of factored into your childhood and if there was kind of a moment for you where it's just like, I'm going to do this? So I have a very musical background, very musical family. Mm. I had a funny start with it. I mean, up to the time I was probably 25 26, I, I'd always played music, a lot of music, always written music, always performed in some capacity, been in a few bands, but I'd never ever considered that I would do it professionally. Mm. I come from a big family of teachers. My dad's a retired music teacher, my sister's now a music teacher. So I, yeah. I just assumed that in a very kind of contented, you know, resigned manner that I would be a teacher. Not necessarily sure. music teacher. Yeah. So as arbitrary as it sounds, I just started playing so many gigs that at some point I was like, I think I'm kind of doing this as a job, you know? Yeah. And I had lots of shitty hospital jobs up until that point and, and so, I, you know, I was kind of doing both and then it just slowly, the scales just tipped to the point where I was just on the road all the time and which was probably completely professionally maybe six years ago, six or seven. Yeah. And up until then, very. So, yeah, I had a weird. It wasn't like a lightning bolt. It was. And I do. I am a slow learner. And I'm not saying that to be self deprecating. I am. It just took me a while to catch up with what I was actually doing in my sure. life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mia, what about you? Yeah, I also have a musical family. My dad. Of course. Yeah, yeah. my dad is a guitar maker, and both my parents are big music fans mm. who really, um, you know, appreciate music. And my mum. You know, I was a big fan of the poets and, and uh, so I grew up just it being this natural thing to have in my life. So I started playing piano and then I played guitar but it wasn't until a friend of mine started writing songs and I was like, oh my God, you can just create stuff mm. out of nothing. Like even yeah. though obviously I knew other people had written songs, like that's yeah. how they existed but I yeah. didn't think you could just do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it was a revelation to go... That's when I really thought, like, oh, this could be something that I actually do. Yeah. And it still to this day astounds me, uh, I think, in any art form, the way that something can come from nothing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jen? I was always sort of obsessed with music. Like, I think my first obsession was with the Nolan sisters, which... Oh, true. Yeah, they were in the mood for dancing Mm. and (laughs) romancing. Um, (laughs) In the nude... They were in the well. In my dreams, they were in the mood, Liz. But they were in the mood. Okay, I'm Carry in on. the mood for dancing. Oh yeah, romancing. Ooh, da da something something. Anyway, 
I was in year three, so. Oh my god, know. I just have the cutest vision of you dancing to that. I Sorry, loved it. Karen. I loved it. I had that record, <laughs> and also Kiss. I, I had the I was made for loving the Dynasty album. Oh yeah. hell yeah, yeah, good shit. So you know, a bit of you know, two quite different worlds there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I loved music and I connected with music, but I never really thought it was something that I'm that I could do, yeah. you know, like that would be crazy. But my cousins actually were in a band in New Zealand called Peking Man and Margaret Ehrlich right. uh, and her brother Patrick Ehrlich and they had like a number one hit in New Zealand called Room That Echoes. I'm going to build a room that echoes. <laughs> I don't know what that room was about but anyway. <laughs> uh, and then she kind of came over to Australia and had quite a big sort of pop career I'd say in the very late 80s. Right. And Liz was a bit of a fan, we discovered recently, of one of her songs. Yeah, Yeah. because I found – I think this is the story that I told. This is what I remember, Jen, is that I I found one of the old school, like, singles, CD singles that had a – you know, the the single and then the B-side, which was just on the same side because it was a CD, um, of – what was that song that we listened to that we – It's only my heart. No, it was – Starry out am I knowing that when I try to escaping. Yes. And so I I heard that as a yeah, probably I was still at primary school, so I would have been pre would have been around eighty nine, nine yeah. ninety. Yeah. And um so yeah, I was a huge fan. And I didn't know. Mm. When we were in Chicago, you were just like very flippantly something said something about Margaret Ehrlich and I was like what? <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Illich is your cousin. That's oh unbelievable. My oh, my yeah. God. Anyway, yeah. That's well, I think, I think seeing her doing it, I yeah. was like, whoa, like, you know, that's someone I actually know, like yeah. a living, breathing person. So maybe that was kind of the next thing. But it wasn't actually until I was NIDA treading the boards <laughs> here in Sydney as an You've actor. You've never mentioned NIDA the entire time I know, I've known you. I know, right, David. I, I like to keep it on the DL. <laughs> Very subtle, very subtle. I like to keep it on the DL and only drop it here and there, but there you go. Uh, when I was at NIDA. Uh, Sorry, I just got to pick up that name you dropped there. Oh, yeah, NIDA. I was there. And um, and while I was there, I bought my first second-hand guitar and I started to learn very basic chords and I wrote some terrible songs that probably could have been on Dawson's Creek had they been produced to a standard. And, and yeah, I think once I left NIDA, I started to sort of move more and more toward music and here I am today, yeah. 25 years later, <laughs> just ruling it over in Zetland. Fuck yeah, that's the shit. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, where did you grow up? Melbourne. Like in the suburbs? Like where in the suburbs you? of Melbourne. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty, um, I was saying to Jen and Mia, it was a dry area, so it was a... There weren't any pubs. I didn't notice that as a kid. But <laughs> yeah. Lots of young families. The, the blocks were quite cheap out there, so there were lots of kind of, you know, families with very young kids. Sure. Great place to grow up, yeah. Sure, yeah, It would bore yeah. me shitless now, but um, yeah. <laughs> as a little one, it was great, yeah. Yeah. Like, was there, like, much of an access to music, like, where you were? Not live music necessarily, but so my dad was a high school music teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had access to – he was kind of like – well, he was the music department essentially at this school. So he he had access to heaps of instruments. So we had lots of instruments in the house. With There weren't like – I did, never went to like underage gigs or, you, you know, until I was kind of in my, late, in my later teens where I'd like sneak in. But yeah. I, did, I wasn't like going to festivals or that sort of thing as a kid. It was all like, I don't know, like a different 
my brother actually sang in a cathedral choir, so there was huh. yeah, there was that. There was like we weren't religious, but yeah. It was just a way for him to get into private school, essentially. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was shipped off there every day. And um, yeah, I'll see. But yeah, there was there was an enormous amount of music around. And then when I was a little bit older, uh, I have an older brother too who used to, you know, he he kind of would bring home music, and I'd be like, oh, what's that? And you know, then really got into the Brit pop in the mid nineties, and you loved Supergrass. I loved Supergrass. I still do not? love yeah. Supergrass. Amazing band. So good. Yeah. Uh, Did you have a bit of a crush on Gaz? Yeah. Again, I'm only human. Yeah, so. exactly. So, Mia, whereabouts were you growing up? I grew up first in Balata, which is a tiny town no one's ever heard of, uh, which is by Dalesford, north mm. of Melbourne. It's I think the, they should the put bush. a plaque for you there. No. Oh, yeah, home of Mia Dyson. Yeah. No. Yeah. Birthplace of Mia In Dyson. a mud brick house Are that was serious? built. I'm serious. Tell me about there any other famous people from your area. Guy Pierce now lives in that area, <laughs> but he wasn't from there. Yeah. But then we moved to Torquay, which is on the coast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I had the bush upbringing, then the beach. Unfortunately, Torquay was very devoid of any kind of, you know, much other culture than just surfing. Yeah. No music. But my parents would take me up to Melbourne to see bands and that was my way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Jen, you were all over the place, weren't you? So, were you born in New Zealand? No, it's it, it's really confusing for people, and yeah. understandably so. I was actually born in Melbourne, right? And when I was about three, we moved to Adelaide, Adelaide. and yeah. I grew up in Adelaide. And then I got into NADA and uh, came to <laughs> Sydney uh, when I was about eighteen, nineteen. Bingo. Uh, and but my both of my parents are Kiwis. Yeah. And so my mother actually went back. Uh, well, both of my parents went back to live there together uh, when my mum got work there at the Auckland University. Right. So, yeah, when I was about 18, I moved to Sydney and they went back to New Zealand. So I do have, you know, I go back to, have been back to New Zealand a lot and obviously yeah, yeah, lived yeah. there for a few years when I was writing Hidden Hands. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was the moving about a lot, like, was it difficult to, like, like, were you interested in music to the point of, like, being involved in, like, the local scenes in your areas or anything like that? Or was it, like, were you t- was it too young to be able to kind of click onto anything like that? I didn't have any brothers and sisters. And yeah. so, to some extent, I kind of looked to other kids. And, and it was when I was about 14 that I moved down to Henley Beach and I met these young hoodlums these young boys who were a lot of fun and they were you know deep into all sorts of bands you know I got introduced to bands like Pink Floyd and ACDC and got to know the music of the Beatles and I'd heard a few songs but you know like the Doors I became obsessed with the Doors actually that became like you know probably a four-year love affair so, yeah, I think it was kind of through friends and scenes at school and stuff that I started to discover music for myself. Um, and then when I went to NIDA, I actually kind of dropped out a little bit because my life became so full and, yeah. you know, that's what I was doing. I was like in a professional theatre company for three years and it was full on, you know, you were constantly in production doing a play of some description. So it wasn't until I sort of left NIDA that I really got deep into music. And I think for me, like, some of the earlier Australian bands that really influenced me were bands like Crow, Sydney band Crow, Blue Bottle Kiss. Obviously, you know, earlier in, in Adelaide, I'd sort of name-check on our album, actually, The Falling Joys and the Clouds. Yes, and course, yeah. 
like a lot of those kind of, you know, heavier guitar driven bands. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and I listened, I listened to a lot of Triple J when I was living in Sydney, actually. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it was like programmed really well in the, in the nineties. Like, you know, there was good, good stuff, like good Australian music sort of pumping out through that. Yeah, yeah. Station like quality stuff that I think still stands up today. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're going to go around and I'm going to find out the first time that you ever performed live. Liz, how old were you <laughs> and where was this? Well, I used to go to a school for a little while called Press Hill in mm-hmm. Melbourne. Press Hill is a kind of an odd, it's now a baccalaureate, international baccalaureate, but it used to be kind of a, let's just say like a, a non conventional educational. Institution. I would have been, I reckon, six or seven. And we, do you guys remember that song? Um, oh, I really want to try and remember it. It's like the theme. Now, I just got Margaret Ehrlich in my head. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, it was the theme from American Superhero or something. Okay. Anyway, I played piano mm. and there were four of us. And I remember <laughs> going, the four of us singing. I mean, I was over there playing the piano and I was like, you know, everyone was like standing on stage and I was standing there going, Okay, no, we're going to have to rearrange this. This is this is we need to be more spectacular. So I got like two chairs and got two of the little kids to stand on the chairs and two in front, and then I went and played the the piano, and um yeah we nailed it. Um and I I would have been yeah six or seven, very little. Oh so my I, god, how cute! So I've been like playing just for ages, ages and ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mia, how old were you when you first played live? I was 16. Mm-hmm. I snuck in the back door because my parents were putting on, we call them a, I don't know why, but it's called a ball down in Victoria. Mm-hmm. You rent a hall and just put on a ball. <laughs> <laughs> you have some bands, you have some food. Was it for school? No, just like they just sell tickets to their friends. They used to so do cool. that. Um, that you is know, cool. I, although is. I'm Victorian, I've never heard of. Yeah, I, don't I don't think know. we did that in the city. Maybe not. It was in no. the country. Dad booked Diana Kiss to headline the, right. the the ball, and I was a big fan of Ross Hannaford's guitar playing. And mm. I got to open, you know, as since I was the kid of the people who were putting it on, um, and I played with my trio for the first time. And I only had like maybe one or two originals, so I played like "The Wind Cries Mary" by Jimi Hendrix and. Uh, bunch of um i think i did a weezer song fuck yeah say it ain't so that yes. was you know wind cries mary and say it ain't so total <laughs> total <laughs> match pod, yeah. yeah total match <laughs> um and i had a blast it was you know i was a deer in the headlights but it was incredible um, yeah that's so good all right jen when and where how old oh i reckon it would have been it, i i would have been in my like mid 20s. Really? Actually, I did a little bit of stuff with an actor called Zoe Carides. Mm. And I met her through just acting, directing friends and stuff in, in Sydney. And we would hang out and kind of write songs together over at her house. Right, yeah. And I think we did like some little cafe gigs around Sydney. But I also remember when we were just coming up, around the back streets of Zetland, we went past the Green Square Zetland Hotel. Oh, yeah. 
And I remember doing one of my first ever gigs there with a guy called Jed Kurtzell, who was in a band eventually called The Mess, Mess Hall. Hall. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And is now like composing music yeah. for films all around the world. Mm. His brother, Justin Kurtzell, directed Snowtown, which was kind oh. of his sort of yeah. take off flight into. Who, and he also went to Noda. Uh, and we were <laughs> in the same year together. And we had Adelaide all in common. We all there came you go. from. They came from Gawler, actually. Anyway, so I remember doing this gig over at the Zetland Hotel with with Jed, and we'd like really practiced, and he was playing guitar in some of my songs, and we were singing harmonies, doing a few covers, and then these people sat right at the front of the stage area that we were, you know, it was probably a very small stage area, yeah. and they just talked really, really loudly, and we'd invited friends, and you know, you could see friends getting quite upset and. It was just a really bad scene because they were right at the front and I just said to them politely, hey, guys, if you want to talk, would it be okay if you maybe moved like to the back of the room near the pool table or went out to the bar? And they just got really angry. They were, I think they were quite drunk and then they start like just got louder and louder. It was like mm. awful. It was awful. And then at the end of the gig they came up and they were threatening Jed like they were going to bash him and it was just, yeah. It and was you just, were like, I have been bitten by this. I, <laughs> this is what I wanted to do. me up for the next 25 years. <laughs> it was just one of those weird memories. I was like, I just didn't obviously read that table right. You know, yeah. like I, I think now I'd be like, Go and get security, get those people moved out, or just don't play at that kind of a pub. Yeah. It's yeah, such cool. a risk. I did that once when my ex-partner's brother was playing a show and I wasn't playing but I, I, I very politely confronted this group of people and it just made it like oh. a billion times worse. Yeah. It was really scary. It's hard to know. Well, I think it's like now if you were playing – you know, you have a reputation, it's a club show and yeah. people have paid a bigger ticket price to come. But, you know, like I yeah. think we were just playing to like people who we were getting like a hundred bucks or well, something. Like yeah. in the pub, yeah. Yeah. So Still. just a different dynamic. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. A mixed bag of experiences. Very much so. Mia's, yeah. Mia's and Liz's was much nicer than mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to take the good with the bad, right? Yeah. I remember I remember the song. It goes, believe it or not, I'm walking oh, yeah. on air. I never, I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Harmony. Yes. Was that oh, yes. the last action hero? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. American superhero. American superhero. <laughs> there it yes, is. Yes, that was it. Yes. Ah. Hey guys, David here. Just butting in to let you know that we all got this wrong. The name of the show was actually the greatest American hero. All right, back to the episode. Yeah. Amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew it. Everyone knows yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. I ever saw that show. But no, yeah, everyone, yeah. yeah, everyone knows the theme song. Yeah. You should have <laughs> okay. pulled that out at your gig, Jane. That would have done oh, <laughs> Then they would have all been sick. the fucking house down. Are you kidding me? Woo. I've been dead. Yes, imagine. <laughs> hey, guys, what if you do? Maybe if you want to talk, maybe you'd prefer to sing along to this little number. Hit it, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's it. Oh, all right. Let's let's try Focus. to get some semblance of back on track. Um, so yeah, I have seen all of you play through various touring experiences through various cities and towns, etc. I want to know a little bit about the first time that you went out and you toured for the first time. So, Mia, what do you remember about like? touring for the first time that would have been around the first album or maybe a bit before i think oh geez i don't know which album whether it was the first or the second it ha- yeah. i mean definitely was the second but whether we did it on the first as well i'm not sure but yeah. I, I remember actually the first out of state trip i ever did was to sydney and it was very exciting to load the car and drive up the hume yeah it was thrilling because i couldn't imagine that there'd be people outside of of mm. Melbourne or Victoria that I could play to. Yeah. Came up and played the Vanguard on uh, King Street, Newtown. Yeah. And it was sold out and I just – it was so exciting. You know, I just remember being kind of overwhelmed by Sydney because Sydney just feels like a much bigger city than Melbourne. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah um, and I just uh, – I was a bit of a deer in the headlights again. Mm. Um, but <laughs> it was it was – just one of the weirdest and funnest experiences that I think, you know, those first few times you never, it can never be replicated of actually coming to a place and there's people who want to see you and you're like, where the hell have you come from? Yeah, this right. Is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. Liz, what about you? I did a few, I did a couple of trips to, my first trip to Sydney was an, was just a disaster. <laughs> got here, I got freaked out by the tunnel because I was driving on my own. I was oh. tired and. And then I lost my wallet within minutes of being in the city, and like it was just. And this is this is well, this is pre. We're actually discussing the day like what touring pre internet or pre smartphones was like, and pre GPS. So you're like, Mm. you know, you're driving through Sydney on your own with like a Sidways or whatever it was. It was pretty hectic. But I like the first real proper touring I did was. When I was around twenty six, was was with Daiso because she yeah true she got me to open. I was working with a booker at the time, thankfully not anymore. And but he did an amazing did us both a big favor by introducing us. And um yeah we so I opened for for Daiso and her band a couple of times in Melbourne, and then we went around the country. It was like a national tour, yeah, and yeah. I hadn't been to Queensland or Western Australia or. Um, or definitely those. Tour. It was a big one, yeah. yeah. It was really all the all the classic <laughs> stops. Yeah, and it was yeah really it was amazing. And you know, Daiso was playing to big crowds. We just they were all very friendly to us, me and my drummer Adam at the time. Yeah, it was it was a great great experience. Amazing, mm. that's beautiful. Mm. Jen, you would have been was it Deadwood Falls or were you doing stuff like touring around permanent marker? Like how far back are we going? Well, actually, the first national tour that I ever did with the Endless Sea was also with Mia. Yeah, right. Um, so here's the connection, the connecting factor. Because, yeah, the Parking Lots album was out and that was a big album. album for you, I remember. Mm. Uh, great album. Mm. And so, you know, we, were, we, we went out and pl- probably played about 12 shows at least, I think, on that tour. Yeah. So it wasn't until, yeah, I mean, uh, Deadwood Falls came out in 2006 and then we did our own yeah. tour around that. I, I think that's when it all kind of that permanent marker EP kind of kicked things off and yeah. then we were we did a big tour with Ben Lee. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it must have been a big jump going from like the solo and duo stuff to having like a big band like the Endless Sea. Like- yeah, yeah, it was. When I think back to 
where I was, you know, in my head. I was in my early 30s then. I was like, you know, 30, 31, 32 when that touring was going on. I'd only just got sober. So that was an interesting place to just be on stage, just going. Not that I'd ever been on stage in front of a crowd drunk because – like nothing had happened for me until this point. Right, yeah. It just happened that I it, it had coincided with, with being sober. It was stressful, you know, like it was stressful trying to work out how to be on a stage and mm. how to lead a band and how to, I don't know, like all of the stuff that it just takes – you just have to do it, you know, you just yeah. have to do it. And we were actually all reflecting today when we were walking around the streets of Sydney – about how fun it is touring in a band that is three equal part, yeah. you know, songwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't have to do anything on your own. You can share all of the workload because we, we've self-managed this project mm. and just show up and do interviews like this. I mean, even when you're on stage like the other day at the Lost Lands Festival in Werribee in Victoria, yeah. I had like this guitar just die and trying to work out what was going on. I was like stressing like you would as a solo yeah. artist. And then I remembered, I was like, oh, hang on. Like there's two other people that are, have got this. <laughs> and I was able to sort of sort it out over a song or two and then just come back. And, and I just realised how unimportant I was and it was great. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if that happens when you're leading a band, like literally you're screwed until yeah. you can work out what's going on and – so it was kind of cool to just like go, oh, Mia and Liz have got this. And, and that's yeah, yeah. how it feels. Like it's a lot less that, that sense of everything riding yeah. on you. Start slowly working your way towards the back and just crossing out Chloe and then just slowly <laughs> itching yourself off. <laughs> Moonwalking off yeah. the stage. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's been great, guys. <laughs> just had a little ampersand in Dyson and Stringer and it's just like, cool, it's like Hall and Oates. It'll be fine. Dyson and Stringer. <laughs> there we go. Die, die String. Don't, die give, string. don't give them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they think they need me yeah. at this point. So. <laughs> well, we were talking about that on the last tour, that the next one uh, I was going to come along and it would be Dyson Stringer, Clower and Young. Hey. Oh, <laughs> yes, nice. Yeah, we need our young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Both of you, like, around, like you said, around the points that your debut albums came out, Mia and Jen, like, there was a big momentum behind it. Like, you're getting played on Triple J and, like, random 15-year-olds from the middle of fucking nowhere knew who you were and Mm. were listening to you and Mm. were going to see you play and Mm. stuff like that. Not Mm. naming any names, but they might be in this room. (laughs) Who's to say? You were coming to this, like, a little bit older, whereas, Mm. you know, you'd been doing this since you were, like, 16, and as you said, and, like, I'm I'm curious about like the different levels of approach that you would have to like everything kind of happening at once in terms of like the demand of the touring and like like the rise and profile and you know like mm. getting nominated for arias and like all that sort of stuff mm. like that's a big thing to take in at any age but like coming at mm. it from like two different perspectives I can mm. imagine would have been a curious thing me we'll start with you like what was it like for you like around that point where things were really starting to take off Yeah, you know, unfortunately, my brain back then was in compare and despair mode. So even though looking back, yeah, looking back, I go, wow, I actually achieved a lot. But at the time, I I never felt like I was doing enough or or was enough. You know, I didn't 
enjoy myself in in the way that I'm capable of now. Yeah. And I look back and go, wow. Like I, I remember, you know, like that parking lots tour, like the shows were sold out. I was going to places I'd never been and there was, you know, 300 people, 400 people. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was worried about like, I was, you know, I was exhausted. I was just stressing about everything you could imagine. You know, I didn't really appreciate what I had and – I'm so grateful that that has changed and that I'm still doing it, like that I didn't totally lose that. You know, I, I get yeah. to I get to have a second chance at, I don't know, a million different chances to actually truly enjoy myself and, and really be present now. The whole thing about fame and notoriety too is it's, it's very weird. I, I, I've always been a bit suspicious of it, even though I wanted it back then. Now I'm like very ambivalent about the whole thing, whether yeah. it's very, you know, and I think, um, you know, it, it's not what it's cracked up to be. I think getting to play music on stage with your friends is, but, you know, having any kind of visible you know being someone who's known is is a very weird thing and yeah uh, so i you know i'm happy to kind of fly under the radar a bit yeah sure and what about you jen yeah look i think for me i i i think that it was it was a situation a little bit like perhaps you know when mira and i've talked about it of feeling like Okay, well that's that's all good that that's happened, but what's next? What's next? What's yeah, next? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's momentum now. I have to do this and like looking around, looking at what other people were doing, and and it was quite a sort of stressful place to be in. And and then I got really scared, like, oh my god, I've got to write another album. And, yeah. You know, how do you do that? You know, when you've only written one, how do you write another one? You know, yeah. there's no like kind of history of albums that you've put out that you can go, oh, you've got this. Mm. So I, I, I just think I I kind of freaked out actually, got really scared. And it just so happened that everything went down with my parents. My mum got Alzheimer's disease, my dad got Parkinson's and yeah. I went back to New Zealand and yeah. and there I was in a pretty scary place in my life. But at the same time I think it was really grounding because it just reminded me of what was important, you know. Yeah. And these relationships were so much more important what these people meant to me than being out touring. The best way to put it is I I think, you know, my career kind of started with a bang and then it just kind of like chitty chitty bang banged along (laughs) for a good few years and then maybe, you know, in the last sort of five years or so with In Blood Memory and then my sort of self-titled album and Milk Records, it kind of took off again. Yeah. But I've been really able to enjoy it this time around and I think I think the only good thing about fame and visibility is the opportunities that it affords you yeah and that's one thing that is undeniable is that the more that people know about you the more opportunities come your way and the opportunities that come my way today as a result of my music, as a result of Milk Records, as a result of Courtney Barnett's success Mm -hmm. have been fantastic and I've been able to really enjoy them and make the most of them. But I think at the same point in time, a little bit like Mia, I don't feel like like I used to be like, okay, well, you're here now. Like, what, what's next? What, yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I just feel a lot more relaxed around how all of that stuff will unfold and, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. totally. 
Liz, like you were saying, you were on the road like pretty consistently for a, a while there. Was there kind of an end game in the, in the back of your head for you? Like, did you kind of have that idealistic thing of just like, oh, you know, if I do this and I do this, then I'll have made it or something like that? Or was it just kind of just like, all right, this gig's done, on to the next one? Oh, look, I think that I wanted to be playing to more people and selling more records and doing all that stuff. Yeah. You know, having being, I think I wanted to be recognised in some way by the industry. But the truth is I just I didn't put any time into it. I'm a very good musician and that's what I've put 100% of my energy into. Yeah. And I think for a while I was really kind of angry and kind of bitter that that wasn't being recognised or whatever. And the fact yeah. is that I've realised as well, like Jen and Mia, you know, I've come to a place in my life where I, I, I realised that, I mean, I think if I had had a kind of spike of success that that either of my bandmates have had, Jen yeah. and Mia, I don't think I would have been able to handle it, you know. I, yeah. Like I, it would have made me miserable and anxious and depressed. I think the, you know, the overarching thing for me is that it would, it would have been really great for me to have things financially a little bit easier. But also yeah. I also know that it's just a tough job. Like whether you get – and as these guys have said, like whether you – Whatever, wherever you are, if your brain is is one that is kind of going, you know, comparing and despairing, or or unable to enjoy what you're doing at the time, that's that's going to happen. Whatever situation you're in, and I look at the ability for me to have been able to move completely, one hundred percent freely through my life without ever being recognised by anyone, as in like you know, on the street, recognised. Yeah. Yeah, What's yeah, it? Yeah. It's so funny. Has meant music has taken me to some extraordinary places geographically. I've gotten to know communities around Australia. I had time and and personal space to do that yeah. wouldn't have been possible if I'd been on the road playing big venues, sure. you know. So I'm really now really happy about where I'm at and in a way I think things come at you when you can handle them. And I, I was thinking today, like, weirdly enough, the ability – as again, as 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 Mia and Jen have touched on, like the ability to really enjoy where you're at and be in the moment. Like, I feel like the three of us are, have simultaneously, from different directions, come to this point where we're just a lot more grounded and able to do that. Definitely. Yeah. And the future is bright. You yeah, know, totally. it's the it's the real irony. It's it's the like you let go of that panic of like. What's happening next? How are we going to – and things are just sort of rolling out because we feel so good about the project. We really believe in it and and that kind of energy is reverberating around everyone that's worked on it with us and, you know, people that are into our music and I don't know. I mean, sorry, I've just – I've really gone, again, talked a lot then. But no, no, no. I, just, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I have been – Sometimes I felt like I need to justify my existence as a musician because I haven't had any kind of awards or, you know, I haven't been recognised by a big section of the Australian industry. Yeah. Some part of it is luck of the draw and if and if the public is lucky, you get artists like Jen and Mia that get recognised, you know, because it's not always like the best musicians get the best prizes, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're lucky and the stars align, then then people like Jen and Mia get recognised for making amazing work. It's just not a formula. So yeah. if you're in it for the long haul, you just have to deal with that constant, like, why am I doing it? Hmm. I, what am I worth as a person? And I get my self-worth from many other things as well. You yeah. know, I have to, but I didn't for a long time. So, yeah. Sure. 
well then open question to the to the table then like do you feel like coming to your to like playing and touring and, and making music in your 40s like do you feel like that's a, at a point where you feel like you have less to prove like that you're not doing this to be like chasing radio or chasing chart positions or anything like that where it's just like I have written something I really like it I would like people to hear it and I'm going to put it out there regardless of whether anyone you know rushes in to buy it or not that doesn't matter to me it's just as long as it's out look uh, absolutely I, I think the thing that I've discovered about music is that you don't know where it goes yeah. and I love that about it you know like you don't know who's listening to it right now you don't know the impact you don't know if it, it might be helping them I love that you know I'll never know the majority of people who have heard my music yeah. and I guess I just hold that in mind that, you know, I'm making this music really ultimately for my own satisfaction. And we were actually talking about this in the car the other day. Liz and I went into a deep chat about lyrics while Mia did an annoying vocal (laughs) (laughs) warm-up. Like a little mosquito over on the side of the car. Um, But she did sing very well that night. But, yeah, we were just talking about how important – you know, writing good lyrics and writing songs that you are 100% behind, how important that is as you get older. And I now get great satisfaction out of bringing songs into existence and then performing them on a stage. And when they connect, and you, you can feel it sometimes, that chemistry, that alchemy with an audience, it is brilliant, you know. It is an absolute fantastic achievement you know to just go there's like a transference you know like what I'm feeling and thinking has somehow traveled into you know other people into their world in that moment and that is you know the whole reason I think I get up on the stage and perform yeah that was a very long answer to a question as well Did you want to answer that question as well, Mia, as you approach your 40s? I'm 46. These two are younger than me. Yeah, I strangely feel like I could die happy, you know, at this point. there's, I don't feel like – I just no longer have any sort of like, oh, if only I could play that festival or – you know, and that was a big part of my drive for a long time. Yeah. And not to say that I – would welcome so many opportunities but it's no longer like the only way that I can be happy. I mean I just had we had this gig that got rained out on Friday night last week you know where like a handful of the people that would have shown up showed up outdoors in Vic. I had the most fun you can have on stage and it just doesn't matter (laughs) anymore who's there what what it's for. I can have and I can still have a shit show when everything's perfect and I've got lots of people to play to. So yeah. I now know it's not dependent on how many people are there, how many people buy my record, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's all about, you know, it's the inside job. Like, am I here? Am I connecting with people? And, like, thankfully, it's I get to decide that. It's not dependent yeah. on some record label choosing me or some festival booking me. I get to decide and, and I try as much as I can to choose – you know, connection over isolation and yeah. yeah. Totally, yeah. I totally agree with what you guys have both said and, and I think f- further to my 
my recent uh, five minute ago rant um, <laughs> about stuff. I I think that what happened for me was that very recently I realised that you know instead of being and this is this has been a process of maturation and of you know going through some fairly intense personal growth over the last three or four years. Yeah. I realised that instead of trying to change or try like being under the the suffering under the illusion that I could change this immovable force, which is the music industry and how it works. Mm. The only thing that I could do is to change the way that I engage with it, you know, and and I really began to realise like, you know, I'm like reaching for the the top fruits of this tree. I don't even know how, what it tastes like. And then I realised like forgetting this, this massive kind of root system that's grown under me over the last 10, 15 years, you know, and how special that is like to be sitting here with, two of my best friends, what we're doing together is amazing. And basically all of my relationships apart from my family and say a couple of close mates are all through music. Yeah. Like all of this, all of the richness and, and uh, learning and the joy that I have in my life is because of music. And that is massive. Like just to reduce it to money or to whether I've won an aria or whatever is just – it's so, it's so kind of binary and, and, and such a waste because actually – you know, regardless of of ha- where my records have been on charts, as Jen said, like they have music is connection, and and it's 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 a such a privilege and a beautiful position to be in. You know, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so we'll wrap it up here. But before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests, and now it is your turn. I want to know about the best and the worst shows that you have ever played. Now, Mia, we'll get you to go first. Your time is precious. Best show, best show, best show. Best show is always the. It was Friday night. There you go. It was Friday night. I felt I'm playing bass a lot on this tour. Yeah. uh, Sharing the duties with Liz, and it just feels so powerful to be in my green suit on the bass guitar. Hell yeah. Holding it down for Liz's song Believer, Cracker. Magic. Absolute magic. Worst gig. I think playing to the bar person at the Nicholson Hotel, just the bar person, who wasn't in the audience. They were just behind the bar. Um, (laughs) It was like probably my third gig in Melbourne. I mean, there's probably been other worse ones for different reasons, but that's the one that comes to mind, you know. Yeah. I didn't know how to handle playing to no one. Now I could happily play to no one. Yeah. (laughs) I do it all the time. It's great. (laughs) Worst gig far and away, Albany, Western Australia. It was footy finals. I know that because Hawthorne lost to Collingwood moments before I went on stage, which Uh for for the New South Welshmen who don't give a shit about AFL, that's a bad thing if you're a Hawthorne supporter. (laughs) It was quite late. It was like a Friday night. I was there with my band and um, there was a couple – making out in front of us, kind of it's actually sort of dry humping in front of the stage and then they fell onto the stage, tipped my my fresh whiskey over and, and like landed the guy's head landed on on my pedal rack and and then so they landed on the stage and then just continued the dry humping on the stage lying down and so I had to kind of kick them off and it was just I was just so like it was awful. Oh my god! Best gig was probably an album launch that I did in Darwin, where we there was a kind of an outdoor venue that was created at Browns Mart for gigs every now and then, and it was just I love playing in Darwin at, at night. It's really beautiful being out in the kind of blood temperature air. Yeah. So yeah, that that one stands out, I think. For sure, yeah. Worst gig I think was Falls Festival in Launceston uh, on the back of a truck. 
wow. Yeah, it, one of the stages was on the back of the truck, clearly not the main stage. I think it was 2005. Right. Okay. Yeah, 2005 heading into 2006. Solo or Endless Sea? With, with the Endless Sea. And the mics kept giving us electric shocks because oh, it wasn't earthed properly. And so you just became really scared of just being singing. <laughs> and they were quite sizable shocks. They weren't like, oh, what is that? They were like, oh, ah, ah, ah. And I'd be like looking at Andrea and Shalaki and, we'd, and just like singing and shocking ourselves. <laughs> And then the best one was also a festival, weirdly, because generally, I mean, oh, look, I've played so many great club shows in the last few years because it was the first time I got to tour around the world. So I played some amazing club shows in like Portland, Oregon, actually Mia Dyson, opposite me, Mia Dyson, uh, and her band were on tour for that American tour. It was really special playing these, you know, clubs around the states playing in new york and dc and but i think like the the ultimate kind of crowning glory moment that i'd always wanted to have was at a festival and it was at golden plains last year 2018 it was just one of those moments where you know all of that touring paid off and the band was just in really great form and something happened. It was the middle of the day, like, it, you know, there's no magic lighting. But but something happened where everything that I'd wanted to say on that record transferred across to the audience and you felt this kind of wave coming back. And after the show, when I walked around a little bit and watched bands and stuff, people came, just strangers were coming up and going, I was in tears. That was a constant thing. Mm. I was in tears, I was in tears, I was in tears. And we were playing rock songs, you know. It wasn't like yeah. I was out there going, you know, like I thought you you had to sing sad songs. They were like passionate songs. Um, and that was a – I've got lots of sad songs, <laughs> but I wasn't playing the sad songs yeah, in yeah, that yeah. set. That was the weird thing about yeah. it. Yeah, wasn't an hour of Hold My Hand. <laughs> no, it was not. We did not play Hold My Hand. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it was – yeah, it was just a – glorious moment of just feeling the power of music with you know 10,000 people beaming yeah. that back to you it's it's you can see why people get addicted to playing yeah. you know you, get used to it, you? you could get used to it <laughs> you could get used to it <laughs> the band is Dyson Stringer Cloa the album is Dyson Stringer Cloa <laughs> it is out now it will be out still by the time that you hear this <laughs> so go and check it out it's a wonderful record by three wonderful people Jen Liz Mia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, David. You're, so You're a legend. Thank you so much. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are fun.